0: Good morning. Welcome to River Rock Bible Church. We are glad that you're here with us this morning. We are in the third week of our parenting series. And this week we are going to cover what is uh, a very unpopular, but a very, very necessary topic. We're going to be looking at discipline this morning. I know it's unpopular. It makes some people uneasy. But it is very important that we discuss discipline when we talk about parenting. And before we go any further, before we go uh, into the scripture, what I want is for us to have a working definition of discipline. And discipline, we're going to define it as this. Discipline is correction driven by love. Discipline is correction driven by a parent's love for their children. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 and 6. It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's what? Help me out here. Do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he what? Those he loves. Discipline is correction driven by love. Why is it so important that we discipline our kids? Proverbs 19:18 tells us. It says, "Discipline your son, for in that there is what? There is hope." Do not be a willing party to his death. Parents, what you need to realize is that going on in your house right now, there is a battle for who is going to be in charge. This is a battle that you must win, and you must win it decisively. There must be no question about who is in charge in your house, and I'll tell you right now, parents, it is you. You are in charge in your household, not your children. If you find yourself nagging, yelling, begging, or threatening constantly, you are losing the battle. And the tide must turn, and the tide must turn now. Discipline is so important. Discipline is correction driven by love. Uh, I know a lot of parents say, you know, I, I just don't want to discipline my kids because I don't want to be mean. I want them to like me. I don't want to be mean. Well, here's something that someone shared with me a, a long time ago, and that's this, is, is that discipline is something you do for your children, not to your children. Right? Discipline is something you do for your children, not to your children. Um, Zig Ziglar said it this way. He said, a child who has not been disciplined with love in his little world will be disciplined without love in the great big world. All right? Uh, So if you don't want your your kids to end up in front of Judge Gravel, uh, then you will discipline them at home. Right, Judge? All right. Uh, So... We, we discipline with love. It's discipline, it's correction driven by love. Now, here's the thing. Uh, sometimes as parents, we ourselves are undisciplined. So I thought it would be good for us to look at what are some characteristics, what are some types of undisciplined parents. Uh, and the first one is the lifeguard parent. The lifeguard parent. There's a lifeguard for you right there, Mr. Hasselhoff. Alright, and the lifeguard parent is characterized by someone who often rescues their children from consequences. The lifeguard parent rescues their children from consequences. So little Billy's in trouble, mommy swoops in, and super mommy, here to save the day! Right? Little Billy is in trouble, and mom swoops in to save the day. So how do you know if you're a lifeguard parent? Right? If you've taken your kid's lunch to them three or more times in one semester because they left it at home, you're a little bit of a lifeguard parent. If you're If your child is a sophomore in college, you are the worst kind of lifeguard parent there is, right? You need to let your kids face some of the consequences. Here's why. Galatians chapter 6 verse 7 says this, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what? What does a man reap? A man, help me out, reaps what he sows. Our kids need to understand that in God's divine economy, God has set up a system of consequences, when we stay within God's word and God's will, there's blessing. When we come outside of God's word and God's will, there are consequences. And oftentimes those consequences can be serious. And our kids need to get this from a young age. They need to understand that there, there are consequences. Parents, we need to give our kids the gift of facing consequences for bad decisions. Would you rather them face consequences when they're young and those bad decisions are smaller, or would you rather them face consequences when they're older? It's important that we give our kids the gift of allowing them to face consequences. Uh, Some some people think about science projects, right? Everybody hates when their kid comes home and says, Mom and Dad, I have a science project. It's even worse when they wait till 10 o'clock at night, and they're like, Oh, by the way, I have a science project due tomorrow. Uh, a lifeguard parent is the parent who jumps in there and says, well, let's, let's get it done. Let me do it for you. You go to bed so you can present it tomorrow. I'm going to finish your science fair project. That's a lifeguard parent, right? A lifeguard parent is the one who says, um, you know, you spent all your lunch money on candy or on the movies or on getting to the next level in Candy Crush, whatever it is. You spent all your money. Oh, that's okay. I'm going to give you more money. How about we say, well, you wasted your money on something that you weren't supposed to spend it on. So no soup for you, right? We let them face the consequences of their actions. And now this is going to be extremely controversial. Um, Some of you will feel like it borders on child abuse. But I really think uh, parents, instead of going out and buying your 16-year-old a $35,000 car to drive around, what if we said, get a job? I know, I know, I know. It's it's like borderline child abuse to tell your 16-year-old, get a job. Save your money. Go buy a $1,000 car that gets you from point A to point B. And oh, by the way, if you get a ticket, you're paying that ticket. Right? We have to allow our kids to face the consequences. It, it may be a silly thing to, to say, to, to think about now for a 16-year-old to just say get a job. But what about when they're, when they're little kids? And they come home and they say, Daddy, I found this cute little adorable kitten. Can we keep him? Right? That cute little adorable kitten is going to grow up to be a satanic, demon-possessed furball from hell of a cat. And it's going to attack your feet and it's going to tear up your flower beds. So you have to let them know that there are consequences. You have to set the boundaries. All right? Um, The next is uh, the Etch-a-Sketch parent. The Etch-a-Sketch parent. All right? The Etch-a-Sketch parent is one that is often inconsistent. Do you guys remember the Etch-A-Sketch from when you were a little kid? You draw the lines and you shake it up and the lines disappear and then you get to draw the lines again. So an Etch-A-Sketch parent is the parent who draws lines and boundaries one day and then shakes it up the next day and the kids are wondering, where are the lines? Where are the boundaries? Listen to what God's Word says in Proverbs 29. It says, The rod of correction imparts wisdom, but a child left to himself disgraces his mother. Discipline your son, and he will give you peace. He will bring delight to your soul. Discipline your son, and he will give you peace. It doesn't say when it's convenient. It doesn't say discipline this way today, and discipline this way tomorrow. No, it says discipline. We have to be consistent as parents, and I've got to be honest that uh, this is a place that I am am very guilty at times of being an Etch-A-Sketch parent because sometimes I'm tired. I'm tired, and it's hard. We're outnumbered. We've been outnumbered from the get-go. We had triplets, and it's been three-on-two or three-on-one at times uh, for, for as long as, as we've known it. Uh, and it's difficult when you're tired to, to want to get up and do what's necessary to discipline and correct and point your children in the right direction. Uh, the other part of that is that sometimes I can be drill sergeant daddy. And it's like I blow that whistle, and I'm expecting the Von Trapp children to come out. And Charlie, Malachi, Bear, right? And they get in line, and that's what I'm expecting. Uh, And then other days, it's like Disney Cruise Line, Daddy. And it's like who wants ice cream with their popsicles for breakfast? Who wants to go play with matches, right? And, man, you want to have fun with your kids. But I'm just as guilty as anybody else of that at times. But we have to be consistent as parents. Children need to know where the boundaries are because they're going to be looking for them because they want to test them. And we need to let them know where they are and then we need to let them know what the consequences are going to be if they cross over those boundaries. The last one that we're going to look at is the split decision parent. All right, split de- decision parenting, they're often inconsistent. All right, this is what Amos 3:3 says. It says do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so. So what does this look like in the real world? Man, I understand not every household has a mommy and daddy. Sometimes life circumstances take over and divorce happens. And it is difficult to be consistent when you're in a divorced relationship because sometimes the husband and the wife, the exes, they don't get along at all. And the kids pick up on this. And they say, well, dad lets us do this, or mom would have bought us this, or grandma and grandpa did this, right? And, and they start playing one parent across the other. And I've got to tell you, if that's you, if that's your situation, um, do everything you can within your power to discipline with consistency and agree with your ex-spouse on how you're going to discipline your kids. Your kids need that type of consistency. It's so important that even if you don't get along, that you make every effort in this area to move forward. But not just in divorce. Sometimes we have blended families. Uh, You have families that are remarried. And both parents bring in kids, and it's very tempting for the mom to say, well, these are my kids, and the dad to say, and these are my kids. You discipline your kids, and I'll discipline my kids. But that's not reality. We know from Scripture that when people get married, two become one. There's no more yours and mine, there's only ours, right? So we have to be consistent. Um, And it's not just in divorce and remarried couples. This also takes place, you can have the split decision in married couples that are still together. And here's how that often looks. Um, I can remember doing this as a kid, and I never really got away with it. Um, But I would go to mom and say, mom, dad said I could do this if it's okay with you. And then I'd go to dad and say, dad, mom said I could do this if it's okay with you. Right. Every once in a while, I might get something by there, but uh, usually they were smart enough to check with each other to see what's going on here. But here's the, the main way that that happens. It's not that parents disagree on how to parent their children. What happens is this. The kid comes into the living room and starts talking back to mom. Dad's sitting over there reading his newspaper or watching the game. And the mom says, no, I told you to go to your room. And the kid says, I'm not going to my room. I told you to go to your room. Mom says, uh, The kid says, I'm not going to my room mom says go to your room or else the kid goes to their room where's dad dad didn't say anything but he communicated clearly to the child and he communicated clearly to his wife right dads you've got to back your wives up wives when you're when your husbands are uh correcting and disciplining your kids you've got to back them up and say hey we are together on this because if kids see any sign of weakness, if they can sniff any sign of weakness, man, they will take you out, right? They're looking for it. They're looking for an opportunity to take you out. So, um, how many of you would say, and let's be honest, how many of you would say, I'm a little bit guilty of being a lifeguard parent? I can be honest. Um, there are times when, when maybe I swoop in and, and try to save my kids from consequences. How many of you would say, you know what? I'm. I'm the, uh, I'm the etch-a-sketch parent. I'm, I'm a little bit guilty at times. I get tired, and I'm not always 100% consistent. And how many of you would say, man, I'm, sometimes I'm the split decision. Whatever that looks like, I'm the split decision parent. Um, good. Thank you for your honesty. Uh, my, my encouragement to you is now that you've identified it, let's move forward. Let's think about where we're going and what God has for us. Next, I want us to look at what are our expectations as parents? What can we expect as parents, and the first is this. We expect first time and cheerful obedience. If you've ever been around me for any amount of time, you will see me say to my kids, you will hear me say to my kids, you need to obey the first time with a happy heart. I got that from my wife, who got it from someone else, right? You need to obey the first time with a happy heart. It is so important that our kids not only obey, but they obey with a happy heart. Let's look at Colossians 3.20. It says, children, obey your parents in how much? Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. It doesn't say, children, obey your parents after they've said, don't make me come over there, stop that, cut that out. One, two, don't look at me in that tone of voice, right? It says, obey your parents in everything. We expect first time obedience. I love that we got to go through the book of Jonah earlier this year in January, um, and our kids went through the book of Jonah as well. Anytime our kids start to um, think about not obeying the first time, I just say, do you remember the story of Jonah? Did he obey the first time? No, daddy. What happened? He got swallowed by a fish. Do you want to get swallowed by a fish? No, daddy. All right. <laughs> you obey the first time, right? It, it, it makes sense. If you don't obey the first time, there are consequences, and you'll be surprised how fast you can get your kids to do things when they know what's coming if they don't obey the first time. When you have those boundaries and you're able to say, what happens when you don't obey? And they can identify what the consequence is, and they know that you're going to follow through on that. It's amazing how much you can get your kids to do the first time you ask them. But it's not just about first-time obedience. Um, we're also looking at the heart. We don't want just outward obedience. We want inward obedience. And let's look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. It says, do everything without or do everything without complaining or arguing. How many of you will recognize this scene? Dad comes home. I heard you talk back to your mother today. No, I didn't. Son, your mom told me that you talked to that. back to her. Nuh-uh. Son, do not disrespect me one more time or you're going to go to the, your, your room. No, I'm not. That's it. Go to your room. I'm not going to my room. Yes, you are. Nuh-uh. Go to your room or else. Fine. Pfft. Slam the door. Dad sits back in his chair. I sure showed him. <laughs> no, you didn't. No, you didn't, Dad. Yeah, we got the outward obedience. He ended up in his room, but the attitude was not there. The attitude was not there. We need to discipline more for attitude than for action. Parents, we discipline more for attitude than for action. If we can get the attitude right, many times, generally, the actions will follow. Right? We have to get the heart attitude right. Um, We want to make sure that our kids have the right attitude the right understanding, and that will result in the right actions. Next thing that we see for our expectations is that we never discipline out of anger. And I've got to be honest, there is too much of this going on in the world today. Disciplining out of anger uh, can do a lot more harm than it does good. And I'm not just talking about spanking. We will talk about that in just a minute. I know you're wondering when I'm going to get to it, and we will talk about that. Uh, That's not what I'm talking about. Uh, I'm talking about when you, just out of anger, lose it and lose all self-control and go after your kids. That is not okay. Here's what scripture has to say about this in Ephesians 4.26. It says, in your anger, do not sin. In your anger, do not sin. Parents, we have to be very careful. Sometimes you need to put yourself in a timeout. One thing we do in our house is that we, we want to discipline right away, but we say, go to your room. Go to your room and wait for mommy and daddy because sometimes mommy and daddy need that 30 second walk down to the bedroom to calm down and clear our heads. And let me say this. uh, I know there are some people in here who spank. There's some people against spanking. I'm not talking about spanking, but if you ever hit your child in anger, you need to repent before God. You need to repent before your children. And if it's happened more than once, you need to get help. Because if you do not, you will answer to God for hitting one of his little children. Let's go on. The third thing that we see is that we want to discipline promptly with instruction and reconciliation. We want to discipline promptly with instruction and reconciliation. Ephesians 6.4 says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Right, so we discipline promptly. We don't come back three weeks later and say, Hey, do you remember when you did this? Um, now you're going to face the consequences. No, it's immediate. They know what happens. That way they can make the correlation that I did this, here was the consequence. But it's with instruction and with reconciliation. This last week, Amanda was at the grocery store with all three kids. Um, most grocery stores do not have carts for three toddlers, and so they were walking behind her. Our kids. Are pretty good kids I have to admit they are pretty good kids and they fall right behind her they don't grab stuff generally and try to throw it in the basket and they don't throw stuff on the ground so um, she keeps them close she does a great job with our kids while she was walking through the produce aisle and she saw that there was a bell pepper in the cart that had a bite taken out of it she turned around and looked back down the aisle and there was a peach and a tomato and an apple that all had a little Malachi-sized bite out of it. Now, if you know my son Malachi, he's not a troublemaker. He knows that stealing is wrong, but as a three-year-old, I mean, he's just never faced this. You see all this fruit out. It's tempting. He didn't know better. Uh, He he probably should have, but for whatever reason, he saw fruit and was like, I want a bite of it, and so he took a bite of it. And so Amanda had to correct him right there and say, Son, that is stealing, and that is wrong. And we're going to talk about how we're going to deal with this when we get home. She had the, the two other kids with her. She's got three kids. Um, if she had been there with him by, by herself or she had more time, she would have taken him to the store manager and said, Malachi, you need to tell him what you did, and then you need to pay for this fruit. What we did instead, because she had the kids, she was trying to get some things done to help me out, um, she brought him home, and when he got home, she said, you need to tell your daddy what you did. So he told me that he, he stole and I said, do you realize that stealing is wrong? Yes, Daddy, stealing is wrong. Okay, here's your consequence. You are going to pay Mommy and Daddy for the fruit that was not in our budget, that we didn't budget to buy. You're going to pay us back for that fruit. Yes, Daddy, go bring me your spin jar. All right? they have give-save spin jars. It's not coming out of your gift jar that belongs to God. It's not coming out of your save jar. It's coming out of your spin jar. This is your cookie money. This is your ice cream money. Go get me your spin jar. He brings me a spin jar. Let's open it up. Okay? You're going to take out this much money, and you're going to give it to Daddy. And he counted out the bills, and he gave it to Daddy. Right? Um, I'll say this. In our house, we do spank. We do spank. Um, But this was an instance where I could see that he had not made that connection that this was stealing, and he, he needed instruction. He didn't need to just be spanked. He needed instruction. And he understands now that stealing is wrong. We give our children... We discipline promptly with instruction and with reconciliation. Now, while we're on this topic, let me go ahead and address spanking. Um, in our house, we do spank. Now, I can feel the negative emails coming. In fact, last night, I sat down and I cleared out my inbox because I knew these emails were going to be coming about how we're torturing our children, we're abusing our children, and, and all these other things. And, and my guess is that if you're against spanking, Um, you, you would, your argument would go something like this. Well, um, studies show that kids who are spanked are more aggressive. They are, uh, they, they perform lower on tests and they're not as compliant. Well, if that was true, let me say this. My generation was kind of the bridge generation between the generation that got spanked and the generation that didn't. I got spanked, right? Uh, and if that were true, that kids who got spanked were more aggressive and, and, uh, uh, less compliant, and less obedient, then what we should see is that kids who are 20, in their 20s and teens would be the most compliant, peace-loving, successful generation. And I hear people laughing because you realize that that is not the case. Okay? Um, I will stand by this till the day I die. I know that spanking is politically incorrect, but it is biblically Correct? So I stand by it. Let's look at a couple verses. Um, Proverbs thirteen twenty four says, He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. Right? He who spares the rod hates his son. There are certain times your kids need to know that there is an immediate uh, reaction, that there's going to be a consequence for their sin. And sometimes they need to feel the physical pain of that. The next verse is Proverbs twenty-two fifteen. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. Proverbs twenty-three thirteen. Do not withhold discipline, although you strike him with the rod, he will not die. You shall strike him with the rod and rescue his soul from Sheol. Sheol is the Hebrew word for hell. Now, here's understand me. This verse is not saying beat the Sheol out of your kids. Okay. This verse is saying that when correctly applied, the rod of discipline, corporal punishment, physical discipline, corrects the, the attitude and the behavior in a way that points the child in the right direction. Um, and this is really, if you ask me, it's all about how it's done. And again, my wife this week came across an article online I believe it was on CNN that says people who spank their kids, basically those kids become more aggressive. They perform lower on tests. If they're spanked by the mother more than once a month, then then their cognitive abilities go down. And let me just tell you, if that were true, um, I would be like a rage machine, the Incredible Hulk. And the only thing I would ever get on an IQ test would be drool because I got spanked a lot as a kid. uh, And usually by my mom. And I'll tell you this, I deserved every single one of the ones that I got. I can look back and say I deserved every single one that I got. And there were probably some where my parents gave me grace and mercy and demonstrated the love of Jesus Christ in that and did not spank me when I deserved it. But here's the thing. Uh, These studies that say all this, uh, what you need to recognize about those is that in 1985, the Justice Department saw all these studies that were coming out and they were looking at the data that they were collecting and they realized that this was incomplete data. There was, uh, they actually termed it junk science because what they were saying is that kids who have been spanked are aggressive, therefore the spanking causes the aggression. Kids who have been spanked have behavioral problems, therefore the spanking causes the behavioral problems. What they didn't look into was, are these kids already aggressive? And maybe that's why they're getting a spanking. Do they already have behavior problems? Is that why they're already getting a spanking? Uh, they, uh, the article that my wife found says this. It says the, the problem is that uh, they simply imply causation between spanking and negative personality traits. And it isn't supported by the data. It says their, their logic follows this example. As ice cream sales increase, drowning deaths also increase. Therefore, ice cream consumption causes drowning. Right? It's the same kind of logic. It's flawed logic. It's not there. And there are many, many, many more studies that show that when properly applied with instruction and reconciliation in mind, that spanking, kids who are spanked, actually turn out and perform better. Right? So you you have to decide, am I going to choose to listen to the ones who study the brain? Or am I going to choose to listen to the one and the word of the one who created the brain? Right, And I, uh, for one, will stand by the fact that spanking is biblically correct until the day that I die. But let me tell you how we do it. Because we discipline promptly with instruction and reconciliation, here's how it usually takes place at our house. Um, There's one thing that always gets us spanking at our house, and that is direct disobedience. Um, If you disobey, then you know what the consequence is. And we remind our kids that delayed obedience is disobedience, right? We expect first-time obedience. If you don't obey the first time with a happy heart, what's going to happen? I'm going to get a spanking. Okay, you need to go and obey. Uh, so we'll, whatever has happened, let's say someone gets hit. And we say you need to go to your room and wait for mommy and daddy. Mommy and daddy come in, whoever it is that's doling out the discipline, and we sit down and we say, what did you do? This is something I learned from my parents who are here today. We don't ask why did you hit because at three years old they're going to say I don't know and that is a valid answer because they probably do not know why they hit at that age we say what did you do and they tell us what we're trying to do is to get them to identify the sin and identify the fact that they have sinned. from there we say what should you have done instead of hitting well I should have walked away we also try to get them, at times, we'll say, okay, what was going on? Why did you hit? Well, he took my toy. No. Why did you hit? Well, he didn't. No, no, no. Why did you hit? I was angry. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. You hit because you were angry. What should you do when you're angry? Walk away. Go to my room. Come get mommy or daddy. Any of those answers. What we want them to see is that when... We find ourselves tempted to sin, or we even find ourselves in the middle of sin. God always provides a way out. There's a way out that God has provided, and we need to look for that. We're training them in that when they're young. And then we walk them through and we say, Okay, so you were angry and you hit. What is the consequence? And they name the consequence. They know what it is. And we say, Okay, now you're going to get a spanking. And we spank them. And we hold them. And we tell them, we love you, you are a good boy, you are a good girl, because they need that re- reassurance that just because they've disobeyed that they are not a bad child. They need that reassurance, so we tell them, "We, you are a good boy, you are a good girl. Mommy and daddy love you so much, and we sit there and we hold them until they stop crying. And usually, by the time we're done, they end up laughing. They stand up and I look them in the eyes and I say, daddy loves you so much. And they'll say, I love you, daddy, And then we say, you need to go apologize to whoever. If they disrespected their mother or their daddy, you need to apologize to us. If it's your brother or sister that you hit, then you need to go and apologize to them. And they run and they do it, and then we forget about it. We move on with our day, never to bring it up again. And all of this is setting the stage for them to have an understanding of the cross of Jesus Christ. It sets them up to understand that I am a sinner. And my sin needs to be punished. And as they grow older and as they understand more and more, they'll understand that Jesus Christ is the one who paid that penalty for their sin. That it has already been paid the moment they put their trust in Jesus Christ. And now because of that, they have been reconciled with God. They have a relationship with God. And he accepts them. And they can move on. They can continue on and I firmly believe that when the time comes that our children are able to articulate that they're putting their trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior, they will not take their salvation for granted because they will have understood that they had a true penalty that had to be paid by Jesus Christ. They'll have a deeper understanding of that. We're setting them up to have an understanding of the gospel. Um, One other thing I want to say is that we do not spank our children with our hand. Um, We talked about this last week, but um, when we talked about loving touch, but our children need to trust our touch. And so uh, we have a little wooden spoon, we call it the rod of correction, and uh, we'll say, do we need to introduce you to rod? Nope, nope, nope. I know rod pretty well. Um, So it's very swift, and uh, it's done in a very loving way. Remember uh, that discipline is correction driven by love. One of the Proverbs that we read earlier, Proverbs 19, 18 says, discipline your sons for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. You know, I used to think that this verse was a little bit, going a little bit overboard. Like this is ridiculous. Be a willing party to his death for not disciplining him. Until we moved into the house that we live in now, Uh, there's a busy street. Katy Crossing uh, is uh, right next to our house, and then we're on the corner, and so every car that comes down our street passes our house, and when they come around uh, to get to the stop sign, they usually don't stop until about 15 feet past the stop sign, and so they're still coming full speed past our house. When our kids play in our driveway, what we do is we pull the minivan Um, in front of the driveway so that if if they, for whatever reason, decide to run towards the street, they'll hit the minivan before they hit anything else. It also gives them more space to play in the driveway. But I'll never forget, they were about two and a half years old, and they were playing with a ball, uh, and it went into the street on the other side in front of the minivan. And all three of them took off for this ball that was in the street. And I could see one of the teenagers that lives on a street and his big old Dodge Ram pickup truck coming down. He could not see them. They were running full speed as fast as they could towards the street, and they were at the edge of the grass, and I said, Stop! And all three of them stopped and turned around and looked at me. I am so thankful at that day that I didn't have to say, Stop! One! Two! Because it would have been too late. Do not be a willing party to your child's death. We need to expect first time and cheerful obedience. We need to discipline for the attitude more than the actions. We need to agree to never discipline out of anger. And we need to discipline promptly with instruction in reconciliation. Um, I just want to pray for us as we close this morning. For all the parents in this room, would you, everybody just bow your heads. Let's close our eyes. God, Lord, we thank you that you love us enough to discipline us. God, that at times in our lives when we fail, that there is discipline and there is correction, but it is always with the desire to see us restored in relationship with you. God, would you help those of us who are lifeguard parents, those of us who are Etch-a-Sketch parents, and those of us who are split-decision parents, help us to honor you more fully as parents. God, let us be consistent. Let um, Let our children have the gift of facing their consequences. God, I I pray for all of us here, parents, grandparents, those who are not yet parents, but someday will be, Lord, help us to follow you, follow the example that you have set. May we instruct our kids, may we discipline them in a way that points them to your love through your son, Jesus Christ. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.